Tommy, you can sing. You can, that's really wonderful. That's marvelous. Thank you, thank you. I want to talk to you about Thanksgiving. It's the only holiday, the major holiday that we have that has three faces. Three faces. Historical, secular, and religious. Let's talk about the historical part of it first. Our spiritual forefathers came over here. They didn't come to America on a vacation. They came over here because they wanted to be free. They came over here bringing convictions because they didn't want to be controlled by an ecclesiastical system that told them what to believe and how to believe, what to do and what not to do. They came because of a great love for freedom and devotion. 1620, John Robinson and William Bradford. And 1646, John Elliott, missionary to the Indians. 1652, Roger Williams, Jonathan Edwards, William Penn. These were all men and women and individuals who came. Some came for commercial reasons, but the, the basic core of coming was a desire to experience a new world, both internally and externally. And they have had many successes across the years, many in this room who have served as the extension of the founding fathers, protecting life and liberty and freedom and justice. It's interesting. A little known fact, I think. When John Wycliffe translated the Bible into English for the first time in the 1300s from Latin into English, was, he was horribly uh, detested and hated for it. And even after he died, they dug his bones up and, and uh, burned them and threw his ashes into the Avon River. He was condemned because he wanted to put the Bible in the vernacular of the people. And so he translated it into English. Uh, a, li a little later on, William Tyndall uh, took that in the 1500s, 1526, and he translated it uh, even into uh, to a more appropriate vernacular of the English people. Uh, Wycliffe translated it from the Latin. Uh, Tyndall translated it from the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts, which made it more authentic. And, but about 90% of the King James Bible was lifted just in mass from the, from the King James. Now, uh, now these people... These people believed something. They just didn't feel something. They just didn't have the spirit. They were concerned about propagating the truth. And I think there needs to be that equalizing balance in our religious life today. I am all for spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being directed by the Holy Spirit. But the spirit is not going to lead us to do anything that is contrary to the truth as revealed in the Word of God. That's why doctrine is important extremely important. Our forefathers came and they took that stand and it's been perpetuated since by those who joined with John Wycliffe who wrote these words in the foreword of his translation of the Bible into English. May this book help people to, let me get it correctly, the, the, the order is a little different, that this book will help people have a government of the people, by the people, for the people. That's where Abraham Lincoln got it. And the subsequent patriots, many in this room, many in America, many have already gone on to their eternal rewards. Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, Spanish-American War, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korea, where some of my Marine friends suffered the cold of the chosen reservoir just as George Washington's troops suffered at Valley Forge. In Vietnam, as we heard that incredible story last week from Robbie, the Gulf War, and other wars that are not as well known, 
but efforts made to perpetuate freedom and protect Americans and disperse freedom throughout the world from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. People have gone because they believed something and wanted to share that belief of democracy with one another. And so we have a historical reason for celebrating Thanksgiving. We need to remember the people who purchased this for us. It did not begin with us. We have inherited values that need to be perpetuated by us for subsequent generations. Then Thanksgiving also has a secular aspect to it. George Washington tried to get it uh, into the uh, uh, Continental Constitution originally in 1789, but there was a lot of controversy about it, so it was dropped. But in 1827, the U.S. Congress did make Thanksgiving a, uh, a, a day uh, for all America to, to uh, give thanks. But uh, somehow it, is, uh, it has been moved away from its original meaning. Uh, it uh, has become, uh, in, the, in, the, in Christianity we have a Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In secular Thanksgiving we have food, football, and uh, parades. Now, it depends upon whether you're a man or a woman what order you want to put those in. Now, I know Martha wants to put it in this order. She wants to put football first, and then food, and then parades. And uh, I want to put parades first, and, and food second, and then football if it happens to be left over afterwards. But... Uh, Whatever the order, that's pretty much uh, what happens today. Let's don't let it get so secularized that we forget where it came from. Martha did have a wonderful observation one year. She said, you know, I wish our pilgrim forefathers had shot a peanut butter sandwich instead of a turkey. It, <laughs> it would certainly have made Thanksgiving a lot easier, wouldn't it? But uh, they didn't do that. They didn't have peanut butter. I don't know how they made it without peanut butter and Oreo cookies, but uh, uh, somehow, they, somehow they did. Uh, now the religious aspect of Thanksgiving. Uh, some of you may remember Elton Trueblood, the incredible Quaker philosopher who came to our church twice back in the 1960s, written so many books, a marvelous man, and he coined the phrase, he created the phrase that I think ought to be indelibly inscribed upon everybody's mind to remind us that we have a responsibility to keep freedom and justice alive in our world today. And the phrase that he used was, we are living in a cut flower civilization. Isn't that descriptive? a cut flower civilization. You cut a flower, it will still bloom for a while, but it begins to shade away and the, the leaves begin to wither. And the same thing can happen to democracy. The same thing can happen in America. The same thing can happen in our lives if we live in a cut flower relationship to God. A cut flower culture is pretty much permeating much of America today. We need to get back into our root system, our spiritual root system, for that's where our source of strength emanates from. Like many things, we forget the source. We think it was invented with us. I believe the first um, intentional Thanksgiving uh, proclamation took place uh, long before our founding fathers. I believe it goes back to some founding fathers predating the ones that you and I know from American history or should know from American history, or should be being taught in American history. And that goes all the way back to the fifth uh, book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. In the Bible, in the book rack in front of you, turn to page 175. If you have your own Bible, turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is speaking through, God is speaking through Moses. 
Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Did you hear that? Giving you. The gift that we have is a gift from Almighty God. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract it. Do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I gave you. Now jump to the ninth verse. Only be careful and watch yourselves. In other words, don't live in a cut flower relationship. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. I believe our first founding fathers, not in any way to diminish the significance of Madison and Jefferson and Adams, Hamilton, all of those incredible men. But I do believe that our basic, fundamental founding fathers were named Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and Joshua, and Caleb, and the prophets, and the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, Jesus Christ. That's our source. That was the motivation of much of what happened in early America. I believe the examples of the past are supposed to be uh, motivations for the future, challenges for the future. And I want us to talk a little bit about the future. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit before we talk about the future. Uh, back uh, in the 60s, 60s were a time of great uh, uh, turmoil. It was a, a, a frustrating time, but also a, a, a regenerating time. It was, it was both unhealthy and, and uh, stressful, but out of it, hopefully, some, maybe some good things will eventually emerge. I hope so. We had the terrible crisis about Vietnam. Uh, we had uh, the Haight-Asbury uh, uh, hippies. We had a lot of things going on. Uh, a lot of institutions were being uh, challenged and questioned. We were going through the terrible race problem uh, here in America. And a, a thing began to happen all across the country that some of you may be old enough to remember. They were springing up all over America, places called coffee houses. How many of you remember the coffee houses? Yeah, okay, good. Well, I had been reading uh, Peter Marshall's book, Mr. Jones Meet the Master. And I had a thought when I was reading that book. And I got to talking to Martha about it, and I said, why don't we go downtown on North St. Mary's and see if we can rent a place down there where we could have uh, a, a, uh, a facility right down the middle of San Antonio where we could have uh, food, we could have music, we could have books, we could have it all fixed up like a beautiful living room, and uh, people could come in uh, off the street. From, it's a half a block, half a block from the Greyhound bus station. Uh, it's been all changed now. Some of you uh, not, don't know what I'm talking about, but a half block down toward town from, on North St. Mary's from the uh, Greyhound bus station. And we called the place. Oh, I got to talking about it one Sunday morning. I said, how many of you would like to go down there? We can rent this place, and we can have this facility down there where people can come in, and we'll have Bibles, free Bibles there. We'll have literature there. We'll have music there. Uh, we'll have uh, secular literature there as well, just kind of like a living room. How many of you would just be interested in doing that? I said, if you're interested, meet me over here by the piano after church. And 75 people met me over there. We went down there, and we rented that place, and we were there for 
until the lease ran out for two or three months, and we called it, do any of you remember what we called it? The door. That's right. We called it the door. And we had people standing outside, come on in, have some of freeze The door, and right underneath that, established 2,000 years ago. Anyway, because he is the door. Incidentally, the, uh, the door was right next door to the Green Gate Lounge, the number one burlesque uh, show in San Antonio. That's right, isn't that true? In fact, we borrowed chairs from them at times. And people would come in. In fact, one of the girls that danced at uh, Green Gate Lounge came in one day. Martha was down there a lot. Many of you. How many of you were down there at one time or another? We had people down there day and night, uh, early in the morning to late night. Mary, I see your hand. How many of you were down there? Oh, wasn't that an incredible thing? Uh, Patsy Wynn brought a big uh, break front down there. We had chairs, comfortable things. Women and men brought uh, furniture. It was just like a great big living room. And then reading uh, Mr. Jones Meet the Master, there was a story in that, uh, in that marvelous book by Peter Marshall, who was an outstanding Presbyterian minister in New York, chaplain of the U.S. Senate who died prematurely. And uh, I had another idea. I said, why don't we have Thanksgiving down there? So I announced it in church. Women brought all kinds of food. We didn't have paper cups and paper plates and uh, paper uh, tablecloths. We had the finest I mean, we had tablecloths, we had comfortable chairs, we had china, we had silver. And you know what we did? We went down there early on Thanksgiving Day, and we went all over that part of town inviting people to come to a free Thanksgiving dinner. They came from the bus station. They came uh, from uh, the street people. Uh, policemen came. We went down on Houston Street. Some of you may remember there were a number of newspaper boys that sold newspapers up and down Houston Street, down by the Majestic Theater. And I remember one young man particularly. He didn't have any legs. Any of you remember that? He didn't have any legs, and he was on a little kind of skateboard, and he had clubs, and he'd, clubs and he'd, on his hands, and he'd push himself along, and he'd sell papers. He came. You will not believe the motley crowd that we had in there. It was simply incredible. We had people all dressed up. We had people there, street people. We had newspaper boys. Policemen came in and sat down, was eating next to a man, and they got to talking, and that policeman had arrested him two or three months ago. <laughs> and, and I tell you, people ask questions about the Lord. They say, what are you doing here? We're just, doing here to talk, we're just here to tell people about the Lord and what he's doing, what he wants to do in people's lives. Well, as a result, we, we lost our lease, or I guess we would still be down there. I got up there, and the place was just packed, and we had more food than, a, than, than this crowd could have eaten. We had enough food to feed half of San Antonio, and people ate. And I got up there, and I said, look, and I talked about Jesus and his love for us and his gift for us, and I said, I am not the host. I'm a guest just like you, we're all the beneficiaries of the bountiful blessings of Almighty God. Well, it's interesting that out of that, one of the tangible reactions to that is the Lintons who owned the Green Gate Lounge later became Christians. Bob uh, Harrington, who was the, the uh, uh, chaplain of Bourbon Street, friend of ours, he came over, preached in San Antonio, met with the Lintons. They closed the place down, became Christians, active Christians in San Antonio. I don't know how much influence. I'm sure the door had some influence because we had a healthy, happy, non-judgmental relationship uh, with one another. You know what? You know what happens? God opens doors. God opens doors for ministry. Now, sometimes we have the idea. Sometimes we have the idea that when God opens a door, He's just going to. It's like He's automatic doors. That when you say, "Oh Lord, lead me today and open whatever door," asking it shall be given, seeking you shall find, knocking it shall be opened. And you walk along, and suddenly the doors automatically open, and you walk in on beautiful carpet, air-conditioned, flowers everywhere. 
It's just a bed of roses. That is not the way God usually opens the door. You know what he usually does? He opens it just a little bit. A door that's ajar is still a door. And what he's going to do is give you just enough light to say, come on, open that door. We keep waiting for it all to be played out there before us. That God give us the whole blueprint of everything he's going to do. No, he just says, okay, you've asked, you've seeked, you've knocked. Open the door. It's time that we open some new doors in the life of our church and in the life of our city. You know, a lot has happened in this church since the door. A lot of incredible, innovative things have happened. We don't even have time to talk about all of them. Home for women alcoholics, now two homes for women alcoholics. Christian Women's Job Corps, all kinds of ministries going on at the Rubel Center and in this church. Mission ministries. I made a couple of trips to Eastern Europe, and out of that, hundreds and hundreds of people went to Eastern Europe. Mission ministries exploded in this church and in this city. Now buildings have been built, all kinds of marvelous things have happened since the 60s. This was not, this building was just begun in the 60s. Marvelous Creative Life Center, all of those things that God has done. Let me ask you a question. When did Jesus tell us to stop? When did he say enough's enough? When did he rescind the Great Commission? He never did. And the need is as great. And the opportunity is as thrilling as anything that's ever happened in the past. The best is yet to be, if we will let it be, through us. I have dreams. Dreams when I'm wide awake. Makes me feel good because in the book of Acts, the second chapter of the book of Acts, if you want to look at that page number, it's number, uh, goodness, I don't know what it is in your Bible. Um, second chapter of the book of Acts. Um, let me read you a part of uh, the sermon at the Pentecost. Peter quotes the prophet Joel and he said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I guess in the minds of some people, I'm an old man. I don't think I'm an old man. I look at myself in the mirror every morning and say, what's a young man like you doing in an old body like that anyway? Uh, but I have dreams. Oh, I dream at night sometimes, but I dream a lot during the day. I don't mean just sort of fantasizing daydreams. I'm talking about picturing things happening. Do you realize you will never do anything till you first picture it in your mind? That's what a vision is. A vision is not necessarily seeing something supernatural, uh, you know, in the heavens. A vision, I believe, the best, I believe the best definition of a vision is a sanctified, spiritualized imagination. Start seeing things that can happen. 
And you're looking at a lot of things that we're seeing, a lot of ministries that are being done that far outreach the value of all these buildings combined, the ministries and the lives of people. Why shouldn't we have a Hispanic church in the Rubel Center? The Rubel Center is being used for all kinds of incredible ministries, and John Stanley is doing a fantastic job there. Because of the distribution of the money that will be coming now from the Baptist of Texas, the redistribution of it, a lot of it's going to go to Truett Seminary in Baylor, uh, Logston Seminary at Hardin-Simmons, and a lot of it's going to go to the Hispanic Baptist Theological Seminary right here in San Antonio. Why don't we have two or three Hispanic students from that seminary that will be able to come now because they'll have more money for tuition for these students to come, and we can supplement that. Why don't we have two or three young men on our staff, Hispanic young men, who will work at the Rubel Center and do visitation and personal work and Bible study? Why shouldn't we have a church Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Saturday night, whenever they want it? Single adults use it on Sunday morning. Why couldn't it be used the rest of Sunday to have a Hispanic church that could reach out and evangelize people that are almost within a stone's throw of this church? Why not? Why not? I have another dream, another vision. Do you know that uh, apartment house down there at the corner of, uh, of uh, Wiesach and uh, Carlton? It backs up to the Rubel Center. Rubel Center's here, and that apartment is there. I've been thinking about this for over 10 years. Every time I go by and see it, I said, Lord, I wish we had that. 16 apartments in the main building. I think a number more in the back, about 20 apartments. So I've been talking to some people over the last couple of weeks in our city who are involved in things like this and find out information and opportunities and possibilities. Why shouldn't Trinity Baptist Church own that parking facility? I mean, that uh, apartment facility. It has 18 par uh, apartments in one section, probably as many as 20. Why couldn't we? It's in terrible disrepair. Why couldn't we buy that, refurbish it, fix it up nice, and make it a facility for single mothers with children who are working but can't make it? We have a lot of working poor all over the country. We have a lot of it here in San Antonio. Let them live in there free because they're caught in a trap. Let them live in there free, provided they will get involved in the uh, Christian Women's Job Corps, teach them computers, get involved with San Antonio College. Children, we could re do some refurbishing. We could take care of the younger children right over here in our facility. We could take care of school-aged children at the Bugner Fanning School for Mission Springs. They could be there from 7.30 until 5.30, because that's how long school goes. We have after-school care. The, the women could be in school learning, and then they could move out, and when they moved out, someone else could move in. At the same time, many of you could help in some parenting skills for those women so they could do a better job with their children. A lot of you are great in finance. You could help them with their budgets, how they'd know how to make things work when they move out. Why not? Why not? I know what somebody thinks. I'm not psychic, and I'm not a mind reader. But somebody say, Buckner, that could be problems. You know what? You know what we Christians need to do? We need to exorcise that word 
problems out of our vocabulary. With God, nothing is impossible. Stop talking about problems and start talking about opportunities and challenges, and it will change your day and we can change the world. Attitude. I don't believe there's any end to progress, do you? I don't believe there's any end to it. I know someone else saying, that's going to cost money. You're right. It's going to cost money. And I know there's, there's this desire among some of us to think, well, you know, in about a year and a half or two years, I don't know what it is, some of you on the budget committee can tell me, within the next couple of years, uh, our goal is to be out of debt so we can use that money to do more mission ministries. That's right. I agree with that. But let me ask you a question. Do you believe we have to wait till then to start doing mission ministries? Tell me anywhere in the Bible where God says the first thing the church is supposed to do is to get out of debt. The first thing the church is supposed to do is to reach people, and when we reach people, God blesses it, and you don't have to worry about the budget because God will provide. Why not? Why not? Well, Buckner, you're impatient. You are right. You are right. Why wait? Read something that helped me. Great French Marshal Lauteray was asked by his gardener to plant a tree. The gardener said, uh, well, sir, this is a slow-growing tree. It will take it 100 years to mature. And the marshal said, well, in that case, we need to plant it this afternoon. We don't need to wait. The door has been cracked open. Pray that somehow we'll get that house, that apartment. Pray that we can begin that Hispanic ministry that will reach out and touch the fastest growing population, not only in America, but certainly in South Texas. You all have heard me quote it often, Robert Frost's marvelous poem. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Let me paraphrase. God's love is full and deep, and we have promises to keep. We have promises to keep. Would you help us keep that promise? Would you walk this morning to make that personal commitment to Christ as your Savior? Just crack that door of life open to you. I am the door, he says. Whosoever will may come, come. That's the invitation of this church. Make a difference who you are, where you are, where you're coming from, what you've done. All of that's in God's hands. If God's impressing you to come, come. You want to help us be a church that will make a difference, a bigger difference? Listen, I must say this. I know that in, I don't know how many months, 
There'll be a new pastor in this church. God will bring somebody here, but let me tell you. What that man will do will be dependent upon what kind of attitude and what kind of spirit and what kind of vision and what kind of openness and what kind of receptivity we have to innovation. That will have more to do with the future of this church than anybody who stands here. The future of this church is more in our hands, and I'll be right here, and I'll be right here praying for him and supporting him in every way, but the spirit of this church will have more to do with the future than the person who stands here and preaches. God will bring somebody, and I don't know when, when that will be. It may be six months. I don't care when it is. Whenever it's God's time, it's fine with me, but our responsibility is to be open and flexible and receptive and responsive and visionary and not just sit and wait, but stand up and move. Come move with us this morning. Let's stand. Sing God's invitation. I'll be here to greet you. You come. <laughs>